Welcome to the LA Soccer Hub Show. My name is Gio Garcia. Today is Friday, January 15th. Can't believe we're already two weeks into the new year. A lot of crazy things have happened for this new year. But, um, you know, we're here to talk some soccer. You know, and today we're talking to LAFC. LAFC have made uh, a lot of moves this past week. You know, some that we knew. And, you know, they came out with the splash with Corey Baird, um, who came from RSL. And they officially made the, the announcement of uh, Kim Moon Wan. Uh, the right back that's coming to join them as well. And here to help me talk about it all, we got LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Kevin, how you doing? All right, how are you? Pretty good, man. We've got a lot of things going on. Uh, how was your week and what you got going on this weekend? Well, this weekend we got to prepare for the U.S. Women's National Team. They're having their first game of the new year on Monday, and so we'll be previewing them over the weekend. That's um, right, that's right. I, and I saw, like, um, what's her name? Uh, she just she just got she got COVID recently. Uh, Alex Morgan, Morgan, right? She's not yes. going to be there? She's not. She didn't go to camp. She's only played 45 minutes in the last year. Actually, 45 minutes since the World Cup. So that's been a year and a half now. Um, she was pregnant first, had the baby in May, came back and played 45 minutes uh, in their friendly during the fall in, in the Netherlands. And now uh, coming back from England, she was playing at Tottenham, coming back from England uh, for Christmas holidays. She had a party or an event with her family and wound up with COVID. So that's not good. Yeah, no, hopefully, I did see that. I think she tweeted that out, but uh, I mean, hopefully, speedy recovery. So she just pretty much went out to Tottenham just to, just to collect it, you know, just for exposure, make make some more money, and then come back. Well, uh, there are five, uh, six uh, national team players in Europe right now. There are five, I believe, there were five in, in England um, Christian Press, Tobin Heath, uh, Sam Mewis. Um, um, Rose Lavelle and then Alex Morgan. They went partly because of COVID. Um, they wanted to get away from the U.S. or it was blowing up in the NWSL uh, situation. Um, they played in a bubble, but uh, they wound up without any infection. So it was actually very successful. But I think the women were a little bit scared of that. They wanted to challenge themselves. I'm not sure how much more money they get because they're all national team players. They're guaranteed at least 100000 most of them in case of Alex Morgan make close to a, a a quarter million dollars uh, from their soccer. And then they have endorsements and other things. So I'm not sure how much money played into it, but I do think they wanted to challenge themselves. They wanted to give the women's super league a try and they wanted to get away from COVID. And it's, it's strange that Alex Morgan goes to England to get away from COVID and winds up catching it when she comes back. Um, but that's why she's sidelined. She did say she is coming back to the Orlando pride for the NWSL season. So she's not going back to England. She played, I believe five games for Tottenham. Hmm. Well, that's exciting, you know, always to get the exposure. I know that was a big splash uh, when she went out there. I even saw her, there was a picture of her with Jose Mourinho talking with each other. So, I mean, it's it's exciting, you know, that the U.S. women's national team is, is, is that big, is that popular, popular and obviously uh, known around the world. But let's let's get into uh, some LAFC, some black and gold uh, signings. So we'll just go over um, the first signing that they did. They did they signed uh, Corey Baird. I apologize if I butcher his, la- his last name. So here's a transaction. They they got him from Real Salt Lake, Real Salt Lake in exchange for five hundred thousand dollars in general allocation money. Gam uh, spread across twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, and also a twenty twenty one international roster slot and future considerations. What, what do you think of this move um, and also what LAFC uh, had to give up to get them? Well, I, it's, a, it's a good move depending. It's a good move if you're looking for him to be a backup. I mean, Moose was sort of the backup uh, forward last year. Um, got a lot of playing time because Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez went away on international duty, and then they, they uh, came down with COVID, and Carlos Vela was injured, and I think – LAFC realized they needed a little bit more depth up front. And, and that's where Corey Bayard really fits in because he can play anyone. You know, Bob Bradley uses a 4-3-3 three, three, three and he needs three forwards. Bayard can play anywhere. He can play on the left wing, the right wing. He can play in the middle. He's very versatile. And that's what LAFC needs. He's essentially the fourth forward. He would be one of the first guys off the bench. Um, so uh, if Brian Rodriguez, uh, you know, needs a blow or, or the, those guys are an international duty. He's the guy that can step in. Um, you remember LAFC lost Bradley Wright Phillips, who they did not resign. And, and then Diomandi went back to, to Norway in August. So they needed some depth. Uh, Danny was good, but I don't think he was sufficient. I think they needed a little bit more cover. And that's where Baird is going to help. The problem with Baird is um, I've heard some people talk about, well, maybe if Rossi or Brian Rodriguez leaves for Europe, 
which they want to do, that Baird can step in. I don't, I, I don't see that. I don't think Baird is a, is a regular. I think he's a, he's a backup. I think he's a sub. And you look at his production. He was MLS Rookie of the Year in 2018, but his production's gone down every year. That first season, he had eight goals and five assists and was Rookie of the Year. Second season, he had five, five goals and four assists. So you see it's going down. Last year in 22 games, he had two goals and four assists. So reduction has dropped, and he's only going to be five. Turns twenty January thirtieth, so he's a young guy. I just don't think that uh, on a team with the last two Golden Boot winners, I don't think he's going to light it up. He's going to be a guy that's going to step in and score a ton of goals. Um, but I do think he's an adequate backup, and I think that's what his role would be. And I think when you look at the price they paid for him, um, uh, you know, when Salt Lake let him go, I don't think Salt Lake thought he was a, a, a future starter for them. And when you look at what LAFC paid for him, um, I think LAFC got value. It's, it, it's not the kind of trade that uh, when you look at the the money that changed hands, I don't think that's the kind of deal you make for a starter. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's going to come off the bench necessarily. I think the, I think this is the way I, I guess I'm reading it is they, they're assuming either Rossi or, 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 um, Brian Rodriguez is is, is going to is going to leave. That's that's I think th- that's how I take it with the assumption and they're going to have him and also we know that BWP left. So that also comes into play and and I agree with your point, you know, Danny Masevsky um towards towards the end of the year last season um he struggled just to get his rhythm, but uh you know when he's in rhythm we we can see what 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 he can produce, but I think they gave up a lot uh, to, they gave up a lot if he's going to come off the bench, you know, all that I think, and I agree with your, his production. I think the, the, I guess the optimism that I'm hearing from some of the LAFC people is that, you know, the way they were announcing it, you know, you had a lot of people, you know, even LAFC Rich had, was trying to do a a puzzle type of thing. So people could figure out who it was, but I think there's a lot of optimism from the LAFC people that I'm hearing. And there's a lot of optimism that this could potentially be, he not just only plays striker, but, he also, from what I've read and what I've seen, you know, from obviously from his highlights, that he also can play in the wing. And, you know, I think that's what LAFC like, that he he has that flexibility. He's not just like, you know, Danny Masovsky or BWP. They only, they only play as a number nine. He can also play in the right wing. You know, if say if Brian Rodriguez doesn't come back or they, they trade him, or the same thing with Rossi, they're able to put him out on the wing. Or, you know, if, if they want Vela out on the wing or they want Baird as the number nine or Danny Mazowski comes in and he plays a number nine and you have Baird on the on the right hand side or left hand side. I think they really do like the the flexibility that Baird uh, brings. And I, I'm with you. His production has gone down every year. But I think what what they have, what I'm assuming they're thinking is like, hey, we bring him into our system. We're going to get the best out of our system. We got the best out of BWP. You know, this guy is, is 24. He's about to be 25 years old. We can integrate him. We can show him the way. We can show him the LF, LAFC way. Um, and, you know, we can have him for years to come. That's that's the way I see it. And I think that's the way I think LAFC people are starting to see. But you, you, with all that, they, everything that they gave up, you have to get the best out of Corey Merrick. Well, I, I mean, I think if they're looking at him to, to be a guy that starts and, and starts 25 or 30 games, I think they're going to be disappointed because I don't, you know, Brian Rodriguez, for all of his faults, he's still, he was still a teenager last year and he led the team in assist. Um, Diego Rossi is the golden boot winner. Um, if either one of those guys go to Europe, I don't think Corey Bayard steps in and, and has the same kind of production. I don't think he, he takes their place. I think he's a great fourth forward. I just don't see him you know, with the kind of production they, that they would need to replace a Diego Rossi and a Brian Rodriguez, maybe, and if either one of those two leaves, maybe you don't replace that production. But when you look at the money that uh, LAFC is spending, they did spend 500,000 on Corey Baird. They did uh, spend uh, need allocation money uh, to get uh, Kim Moon Wan. Um, it, it, it does kind of suggest that perhaps there is a deal, a European deal for one of those mm-hmm. players coming up that, that LAFC will get some money back for because, um, you know, I'm not quite sure where all this money is coming. They, they owe a lot of money to people already on the payroll. And that's why they let uh, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips go. That's one of the reasons they let him go and they didn't sign a couple other guys. So uh, I'm wondering if, if there is a deal in the works and if there is, I, I just don't see Corey Baird as a guy that's going to step in and, 
and again have the production of a Diego Rossi or a Brian Rodriguez. I, I think he could, he can do what. Yeah, I think he could do. It's not hard to do what Brian Rodriguez do. Uh, the assists. I mean, Brian Rodriguez is very talented. It is very hard to do what Diego Rossi did, the Golden Boot winner, and you know, and impact the game that he did. So I, I can see do him doing similar or better. Uh, than Brian Rodriguez, I can't see him doing b- better than Diego Rossi. And I'm with you. I think there there is something in the works there. Uh, one of those two players mainly because there's there's a lot of money, um, you know, that they're dishing out in order to get these players. And you know, if we if we see how the LF, LAFC system runs, I think this is one player that's going to give them that flexibility to play all, all to be able to play all all three positions when it whenever they may need. Uh, they may need Corey Barry to do that because, you know, going in 20, into the 2021 season, whenever that starts, you're going to have, you know, um, international call-ups, U23. You're going to have a lot of roster changes. And I think he brings in some of the depth. Obviously, we ought to see the production and how he does uh, in the 2021 season. But like I said, I think there's a lot of optimism there uh, with Corey Barry. Now we just have to see how the, how the chips fall because they they definitely gave up a lot of, a lot to get them uh and to bring them here to the LAFC on on let's talk about Kim Moon Wan um so we we know that they signed him up uh you know uh using tar- target allocation money he obviously will occupy an international spot and he also you know they're just waiting on his ITC his international transfer certification and he will you know also need to use a visa uh, what I'm told about, I had uh, Steve Hahn from Go On here, and what I was told about uh, about his transaction was that he was making about six hundred thousand dollars as a as a right back uh, for his uh, previous club uh, Busan. So I'm assuming uh, Kim Wan is is going to make about the same. I don't I expect him he, to make uh, less than that. So that I mean that was also a lot of money. If 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 the if the reports and everything is is accurate, that is a lot of money. Uh, to bring in Kim Moon Wan, but I know there's a lot with that as well with the fan base and everything else. But w- what do you what do you make of Kim Moon Wan, the addition of Kim Moon Wan, but also the transaction if they're going to have to pay him six hundred thousand? Well, it's interesting because the, you know they let Steve Bettishore go uh, before last season. He was making less than three hundred thousand, right at three hundred thousand, so making half that. Uh, he was older; he was seven years older. They let him go, and uh, the right-back experiment just did not work. They wanted Andy Nahar to play that position, and Andy Nahar just never got healthy. Uh, they wound up using Latif Blessing, a midfielder, at right-back more than any other player. Um, and it, they really needed to address that situation. And so I, I do think that they, they uh, LAFC uh, was a little too optimistic about Nahar and, and his availability. Now they're, they're, they wind up paying twice as much as the guy they had there in 2018 and 19, um, the, the 600, you know, the, the, we know that allocation money was used in the deal. We don't know where it was used. Um, uh, I don't know if it was a free transfer or some of that allocation money paid for the transfer. You can use it that way as well. Um, if he did, if that, that's true that he made 600,000, certainly you would think he'd be making about that here. Um, he's, he is a young player. He has 11, uh, international caps with the Korean national team. So that's good. Um, he was playing his club history, though. He was playing mostly for most of his career in the second division in K-League 2. Uh, his team, Busan, moved up to K-League 1 uh, this last season. Uh, they only won five games. They were relegated again. So he, he doesn't have a ton of first division experience. Uh, so there's going to be a learning curve with him coming here. But he is a right back. He uh, is a right back that joins the attack, sort of a uh, Alfonso Davies type outside back that is going to be very offensive, uh, but but it can also is fast enough where he can get he can get back. Uh, I say all that to say that he fits nicely in Bob Bradley's system. He's exactly the kind of right back that Bob Bradley wants, and it's definitely an upgrade to what they had last year. I think Latif Blessing did the best that he could, but he's not a he's not a right back. He's a midfielder, and he got caught sometimes pushing forward, which you can understand. So I, I think this was a necessary move. Um, you know, I think when you look back at the, the, you know, what LAFC tried to do last season, they wound up overpaying for that position. Uh, but if this guy proves to be, uh, proves to be able to make the transition, he's the fifth Korean now to come to MLS. And a lot of people in MLS are talking about the Korean market as a place teams will go in the future. The Latin American market, I'm told by some GMs is just way too heated. People are asking for way too much money because so many MLS teams that went down there and signed so many players, that a lot of the agents now are overvaluing their clients. 
So I think you're going to see a lot more people going to, to Korea. Uh, it's a place with a soccer tradition. You know, they, they've made the last nine World Cups. Um, so it's a place with a soccer culture and a soccer tradition. And, and the players are, are uh, uh, not cheap, but they're not overpriced. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think it's an upgrade. I think it's going to help. Um, I do think the transition to a first division leg, it could be a little tough. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's it's, it's an interesting. Um, I like the move. I like the move. I think you know when I had Steve Hahn here uh, a couple of weeks ago, what he told me was um, that he Kim Moonwan doesn't really. Uh, he's not a. Uh, he plays for the national team, but he's not the number one guy. He comes off the bench, um, but he said, in the Korean perspective, if Kim Moonwan does not start for LAFC, it would look at, you know. As somewhat as a failure if he did not come in and start every single game for LAFC, um, and that's what people in the Korean and where he come where he's coming from. Like obviously, I don't have that much knowledge, and that's why I had him. Um, there, so there's some expectation from the Korean side for him to come and be the number one guy at right back. Um, and if that's the case, you see LAFC how much they're going to be having to dish out. It was more than six hundred thousand. Um, so that just asked me, asked the question to me is like, where does Tristan Blackman go? Because he was the guy that, you know, finished off the season as right back. He looked good. And he also got a U.S. men's national team call up, which we'll talk about later. Um, so I just wonder where, where Tristan Blackman goes, um, because you, if, if um, Jesus Mourinho, um, which they still haven't uh, officially announced that and they're still in talks with him about bringing him uh, to the 2021. They said that the 20, he's still in the plans for 2021. Um, it makes me wonder one or two things, either Jesus Mourinho, they're not going to pay for him and, and he's not going to come back, or it's just going to be Eddie Segura and um, uh, Jesus Mourinho at center back and Tristan Blackman may have to come off the bench and be a substitute for them either at center back or right back. Do, do you see it that way? I think Blackman's future position, I think it's uh, going to be at center back. So I think he's going to be competing there. Um, I expect that he's going to probably play a little bit of both with the national team, but I don't know that. Uh, I mean, he's a young player to me. He doesn't seem to have a long-term future with the national team. Although this is going to be a strange year for the national team. They have <clears throat> nations league in March. If, if they play all these things because of COVID, they have a nations league in March gold cup in the summer. Uh, they have eight world cup qualifiers in the fall. They'll have a number of friendlies along the way. Um, they, they need a deep pool. And I think Tristan, Tristan Blackman has, will have a chance as a young player to prove himself, but you know, at center back, they got Walker Zimmerman, Matt Miazga, they got uh, John Brooks. They have a ton of players at center back. They also very deep at right back, um, you know, with Serginho Dents and Reggie Cannon, um, Tyler Adams an outside back. They have, they're, they're very deep. And so uh, I think it's going to be a tough row for him to hold in, in with the national team with LAFC. I think I see him at center back. I think, you know, that LAFC now all of a sudden, they appear to be, if, if, if everybody comes back, they appear to be fairly deep on the defensive line where uh, on the back line where last year, you know, that's especially at the start of the season, they weren't. Um, now they have uh, Kim, they have, uh, you know, Diego Palacios and Segura coming back and, and Blackman. We don't, I would expect Jordan Harvey's not coming back, but they yeah. also have Marco Farfan, who's only 22, a uh, very experienced player with Portland. Um, the defensive line looks good. It's, uh, it, and it's going to be a real battle for those starting spots. Even a guy like you just mentioned, Christian Blackman, here's a guy in national team camp, um, probably going to play in their friendly at the end of this month. And he's coming to his club team and he has to fight for a position. So that's kind of a good situation to be in. Yeah, no, and I'm with you. And it just, I think that's, if you're LAFC, that's, that's what you want to do. You want to bring in depth and you also want guys to fight out for the position. Right. And I think uh, that Tristan Blackman is definitely one of those guys that's going to have to fight for his position because I mean, with the new signings um, and, you know, Jesus Mourinho and we know what Eddie Segura can do. So I think if he doesn't start, he's going to be a great, uh, a great player to come off the bench and, you know, and everything seems to be going in LAFC's way of them building up the back line because they had so many issues last year in, the, in, that, in that back line. And, and it's great to see them bring in those, those reinforcements. But I also want to talk go, go back into, a little bit into Kim. And I think you're right. Um, LAFC targeting the Korean, the, the Korean market is very um, – is very smart on their part because they did they did that with their with their fan base before they even got a Korean player, but the way they you know they keep I think that I read I, I don't want to misquote here but 
you know, they want to, I think LAFC is known that they want a club that represents the city. We saw what they did with the, with the first signing with Carlos Vela, you know, bringing South American players and now seeing, you know, bringing, bringing in, uh, you know, Kim Moon Wan, uh, who plays for the national, the Korean national team and how big that fan base is in LA. And, you know, you got Korea town and LA is if not the biggest, one of the biggest uh, South Korean uh, populations outside of Korea. And I, and I think it's just an exciting time. If, if you're from, uh, if you're from South Korea or you're Korean or Asian, right. You will have someone that looks like you, you have someone that like, Hey, you know, I, I, that guy looks for me. It looks like me or that, you know, he plays on, he plays for LAFC. And that just gives you, that just gives, uh, I feel like LAFC a little bit more ammo to bring in new fan and also really, really target, you know, the Korean market and bring in, new fans and some fans that may, may, may be underrepresented. And I think that that's exciting for MLS, that's exciting for LA, LAFC. And I think that's also if the way thing, hopefully how things go with Kim, you could start seeing a, a potential trend of bringing Korean players to MLS. Well, that trend's already started. Um, uh, Seattle Sounders won an MLS cup in 2019 with a Korean player. Uh, but in LA they, though, I'm, I'm, I'm talking specifically yeah, in LA. Like and, the way, the way the the amount of noise LAFC is making with Kim, you know, they're really targeting the the Korean uh, fans as as they should be. Well, the first Korean player that came to MLS back in two thousand three played for the Galaxy, so um, they've been in LA before Korean players. Um, but not like this though, but not 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 with the hype. Well, and... I I, th- I think you might be overplaying this. I mean, they're not going to sign a guy who can't play. I mean, they yeah, tried it with Rudolfo Zelaya. They brought Rudolfo Zelaya in, and it was like, here's a Salvadoran. There's the largest Salvadoran market outside El Salvador is in LA. The largest Korean market well, outside Korea time, is, 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 is in LA. They have more Koreans in LA than anywhere outside the Korean, Korean peninsula. There's more Salvadorans in LA than anywhere outside uh, San Salvador. So, um, you know, when they brought Zelaya in, they did the same thing. It was a big deal. Zelaya was not a good player and they, they let him go at the end of the season. If Kim is not a good player, all that marketing doesn't, doesn't, work i talked to uh, um, uh some asian american soccer fans after kim signing and they all made the same point it's great to see him here but if he doesn't play uh it's going to be very disappointing it's going to be more embarrassing I, I think there's 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 more to it yes lafc wants a team that reflects uh its market but i think there's more to it than that yes they signed carlos valley he was their first player but Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez are Uruguayan. There's not a ton of Uruguayans here. They're good players. They were signed because they're good players. We have, uh, they just went out and signed, um, you know, recently uh, Apoku. He comes from Ghana. And I talked to Bob Bradley about that. And they scouted him in Ghana. And they're looking to make inroads into the African market. And Bob Bradley talked about, we're going wherever we can find players. And we're scouting wherever we can find players. He didn't mention the 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 Ghana community here in Southern California, he mentioned signing a good player. So yeah, if you're looking at say Kim and a player from Canada, then yeah, if they're both equal, you probably sign Kim because there's those additional things. And LAFC is very much into that, uh, you know, community fan base thing, but they didn't sign Kim because he's Korean. They signed him because he's a good player who happens to be Korean. And then they'll market him after that. But um, I I don't think, well, I don't think someone's pulling up a census form and saying, Hey, there's a lot of Chinese here. Let's go out and get a Chinese. No, I'm with, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I'm just saying that that's what they that's what the LAFC has said that they, they you know they want to bring in a, a they want to they want a team that represents the city. That's what they've said. That's not coming from me. Um, but they've also you know they've made their own Korean collection, right? And I'm with you that he has to play and he has to be effective. But I think this is going hand in hand with what they want to do with the Korean market. I understand what you're saying about the, the Ghanaian players and everything like that. But this to me really seems to be like, Hey, it's a double win if it works. And if it doesn't, I understand. But I think with the amount of money that dish, they're dishing out to bring in here, bringing him here and the way they're marketing him out, obviously we haven't seen him play. We haven't, you know, he could, for all, for all we know, he could just be a bus and you know, the worst thing could happen to LFC. But I think what they're trying to do is, you know, they're trying to win on both ends. They're trying to win on bringing in more fans that are un- unrepresented, that the LAFC may feel that it's unrepresented. And if Kim Moon-Wan can win, you know, the South Koreans and some of those Asian fans over LAFC, I think that's that's a win-win situation. And I'm with you. I, I mean, 
he has to play. He has to know how to play. But I'm not. I'm not in the belief that LAFC only signed this player because he's Korean. But you did see John Thornton reach out. To, you know, I had Steve on here. He said he reached out to his uh, one of his former teammates and asked him. You know, who is a really good you know right back and defensive end. So they they were looking at getting a Korean player. Um, I, and I don't know the the depth to it. I don't know it's because you know. I have to assume is because of the Korean market. They got some Korean people working in their organization. They want to win over that fan base even more. And I think that Kim has a lot to do with that. That was, that was just my point on that. Yeah. Well, I've talked to GMs in in Seattle and elsewhere who signed other Korean players. And um, you know, Seattle has a huge Korean market. Uh, Certainly Vancouver does. And they, they got a little bit of a bounce, but they said um, that was not the main reason for the LAFC may be different. That wasn't the main reason. Korean now is a good market. It's a soccer culture. Um, the league, the, you know, the K League is similar, uh, you know, competitively to MLS. The, you know, it's not like coming from the Premier League where players feel like they're stepping down or coming from um, maybe a league in some places in, in South America, maybe Ecuador, uh, where they feel like it's a big step up, that the, it's more of a, of a lateral move. Um, Busan needed to get rid of Kim because he, as you said, making 600,000, they're going back down to the second division. They couldn't afford to keep him. So, um, you know, the Korean players apparently are, are valued, um, uh, about where MLS thinks they should be paid. And, uh, I talked to Bruce Arena when he took over at New England and he told me that, uh, we talked about MLS's push into the, into the South American market. And you see all the players that have come up, you know, um, LAFC has Rossi, LAFC has four national team players off South American teams and, you know, Rui Diaz and Ladero and, and Pitti Martinez and all these players have come up. Um, it, it's just in, in Bruce Arena's mind, it's just too much too soon. And many agents now are starting to understand that South American players are the flavor of the month in MLS and they're asking for too much. So now, uh, you know, LAFC and others have gone to Korea where they think they get value and, and it, they're not overpriced. So, We'll see. I mean, certainly, I think Kim could do both things. I think he could definitely make inroads into the into the Korean market, um, but that's not going to pay off in ticket sales this year because we may not have fans this year. Mm-hmm. That, no, I'm with you. It may not, but it, I mean, to the the shirts and everything they're promoting, that may help him on that. But he, at the end of the day, he has to perform. Whether you know they got him, he has to perform. So let's let's move on. Um, interesting. Another interesting player that you know obviously LAFC is being rumored is. Goalkeeper Tomas Romero, uh, Stephen Goff uh, reported this. He said LAFC are close to to deal with Philadelphia Union for rights to homegrown goalkeeper Tomas Romero, Georgetown sophomore and Salvadoran youth international who helped uh, Georgetown to 2019 NCAA title. He also says it's unclear when whether he will sign right away. Um, what do you make about this potential uh, goalkeeper signing? We know. What should say first? We know LAFC. Don't really have a number one. We know they have Pablo Cisnegas and Kenneth Vermeer, but you know, towards the end of the season, Pablo Cisnegas was was playing most of the games, and then Concacaf came, and Kenneth Vermeer got the start. I know a lot of people, a lot of fans uh, are upset with the goalkeeper position um, because they don't have a clear number one. Some people believe it should be Kenneth. Some people should believe it should be Pablo. A lot of people thought you know they may go out and go get a goalkeeper, a number one goalkeeper. But that's not the case. This looks like to be a backup signing, um, you know, so and, uh, and he's a homegrown player, right, from Philadelphia Union. What do you make about this potential signing? Yeah, he's a backup, backup, backup player. He's yeah. only 20. He's only he's played 17 games in the USL championship, has never played in MLS, just fresh out of college. Um, you know, goalkeeper is one position where you might be able to play a 20-year-old striker or a 20-year-old midfielder. Um, very few 20 year old goalkeepers start because it's a position where it's based on experience and, and, and anticipation. And um, it, that's why you see goalkeepers playing into their, into their late thirties, because it's a position where you need to, uh, to uh, do your apprenticeship. And so he, yeah, he's a backup. He's a, maybe a guy they're thinking about for the future. Um, but goalkeeper is a very um, interesting position for LAFC. And I think one they need to address uh, Vermeer apparently is signed on a multi-year deal, a very expensive multi-year deal. If they can't get rid of him on loan or, or, or whatever, I think they're stuck with him. And I just don't see Kenneth Vermeer as the goalkeeper of the future. Uh, I think he was very iffy last year. He gave up during the regular season. He gave up two goals a game, which is not good. And, um, you know, even though um, 
LAFC did not concede a lot in Champions League. I thought the goalkeeping situation, he looked very iffy. He looked really shaky. Um, I just don't see them uh, being confident with Vermeer going forward. Uh, so I think Cisniega is going to start camp as the starter. Um, and, and he was good at times and bad at times. I just think he was very inconsistent. So LAFC spent a ton of money and a, and, and, and a ton of attention on their back line. They need to address goalkeeper because you can have all these great defenders uh, and if the ball gets through them and goes in the goal, it doesn't help you. So they need they need to address the situation at goalkeeper. I, I don't know that the team feels really confident with either Cisniega or Kenneth Vermeer, um, but both of them are tied up contractually. So I don't know. Do you go out and get a third goalkeeper and then have Romero as a backup to them? Um, you know, the other thing is, is LAFC doesn't have a USL championship team like uh, Galaxy do. So you bring in a guy like Romero, and he's third on your depth chart, but he's 20 and he needs that experience we talked about. They're going to have to loan him out somewhere. He's going to have to go somewhere to play um, because I, I just don't see him playing over Vermeer or, or Cisniega right now. And if both of those guys are on the team, um, Romero's going to have to go somewhere to play. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting signing, um, right? If he's a player or goalkeeper that they may have for the future or whatever, you know, but it's like, they like I'm with you. They haven't addressed it, and and I think if you have two goalkeepers, you don't have one goalkeeper. You know, kind of, kind of like the saying. It may be different because in football they say you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one quarterback. And I think, you know, they've been. You know, I, I really thought Pablo Cisneros was going to be the number one after that. You know, he started the playoff game and everything uh, for them, and then going into Concacaf, we saw Kenneth Vermeer and Bob Bradley said that you know that they saw his experience in Concacaf at the start of the year, and that's what. They went, I'm just paraphrasing here, and that's why they went with that decision to start Kenneth Vermeer. Um, and like you said, they, they spent a lot of money and uh, on Kenneth Vermeer, and you know, it's tricky because you have two, two about average, I guess you can say, goalkeepers, and their two keepers have been inconsistent, and you expected one of those two to be your keeper. Now you're in the offseason, you, you sign up a backup, like a third string goalkeeper. Um, so to me, it tells me that they're going to either going to go with Paulo or Kenneth. And I think, you know, I don't know if, if, if you're LAFC, you can continue to, you know, go back and forth from Kenneth for me and publish the Snickers. I get it, if there's an injury that makes sense, but you know, last year was because both of them were very, being very, very inconsistent. And if you have that another, I think this would be the third year. Cause you had something like that with Tyler Miller and Pablo Cisnegas. And if you go into 2021 and you play this season going like that, Again, I think that that just a lot of inconsistency and, you know, you're going to see the same thing, you know, you don't have, you know, you're not really going to have their confidence on one goalkeeper if you keep spinning it 50-50. Well, I, I think barring another signing, I think Cisniega has to be the starter and you have mm -hmm. to show the confidence with him. Kenneth Vermeer is 35. He is not your long-term solution. Even if he were to start this year, um, you know, that's not your guy for the future. Cisniega, of the people on the roster right now, I think Cisniega is the guy for the short-term future, and you have to start him and let him get that experience. The thing I saw with Vermeer last year is he's 35, as I said, was the kind of goalkeeper Bob Bradley wanted. He plays out of the back. He's active. He's like an Edison with Manchester City or a Allison with Liverpool. He's almost like a sweeper-keeper, uh, you know, Manuel Neuer. He comes out of the net. He, he, he comes way off his line a lot, gets – I didn't get involved in the attack, but certainly plays the ball well out of the back. That's what they wanted. The problem with Vermeer is, again, he's 35. And if if you look at some of the plays that he made, he tried to play the way he used to play as a young player, but he's not the, the quick player he was then. So he gets caught out of position. He comes off his line, plays the ball, and he can't get back like he used to when he was younger. In his mind, he still feels like he's 25. His body is 35. Uh, and so – he gets caught out of position a lot. And the other thing he does um, is he tries to anticipate. There are some times when he realizes he's not as fast as he used to be. So he tries to anticipate. He expects a ball to go to his right. And he, he cheats that way, maybe even dives that way. And the ball goes back to the other side. And I think opponents have figured that out. And they hold on to the ball just a split second longer, wait for Vermeer to commit. And he's just too easy to beat to the other side. So I, I just don't see Vermeer as a guy that um, – is I don't I unless he comes to camp and he's a totally different guy, um, you know I don't see him getting a ton of minutes. I see uh, Cisnega as the guy who you have to say, look, you know, for right now you're our guy. We want you in 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 goal for most of our games, and we're going to commit to you. And and I think you're right. If they don't, 
if they put Cisniega on the bench and he watches Vermeer out there, he's going to have to think, what's wrong with me? How bad am I if I can't play? Yeah, and, and you you know, if you're probably not starting, you also got to think, like, how much longer do you really want to be be there? Because you got to keep – I mean, it's the, it's the same situation, you know, going back and forth from both goalkeepers. And, you know, I understand different things happened, and, you know, last year was very crazy, but I think, you know, they need to solidify and – you know, have the trust in, you know, either Pablo or Kenneth, you know, and like, like I said, both of them have been very shaky, very inconsistent. And both of them have been uh, uh, great. It's good at times. And, you know, made it some incredible saves that, that make you wonder, make you think, okay, he could be our number one goalkeeper, but you know, things happened last year that they went back and forth. And I, I just think going into this year, I, I think you would want to limit that limit the back and forth between the goalkeepers of your LAFC. You know. Yeah, definitely. I think it, it's a position where it's, it's a lot closer in, uh, in uh, baseball. You know, if the guy's confidence is shaken, um, he's not going to be as effective. And the best way to shake a goalkeeper's confidence is to tell him he's not playing. Then he wonders what's wrong. Yeah. Uh, a guy has to be out there and he has to be confident. He also has to know that the job's his, that he can make a mistake, a mistake, not a ton of mistakes. He can make a mistake uh, and he's still going to be out there the next uh, next game. If a guy is worried that he has to be perfect, that's when he, he tries to be too good and he gets in a lot of problems. So Yeah, it seems like they have a very thin rope uh, on the goalkeeper situation, but, you know, they they, they they with good reason, though, as well. Um, next topic I want to talk about, uh, which is the MLSPA just announced that Mark Anthony Kay has been selected uh, to serve on the MLSPA on the executive board uh, on a three-year term. He will be joined by Victor Ulao and Jaleel Anibaba, um, what do you, what do you make of this, uh, Mark Anthony K joining the executive board of the uh, MLSPA, the major league soccer's players association? I, th- I think that's a good move on, on the union's part. Uh, this is a very important, um, period for the union. You know, they're, they're now negotiating with MLS over another collective bargaining agreement. If, if they have, if they don't continue with the one they signed last June, this will be the third CBA in less than a year. Um, relations between the league and the players union is probably lower than it's ever been before. And that's saying a lot because they, there were almost two work stoppages in the last uh, 11 years. So um, uh, Mark Anthony K, I I think he earned the right to do this. He was very outspoken um, uh, participant in the black players union when they, uh, when they adopted a number of different uh, um, stances over the summer with black lives matter, you know, the taking a knee before games, uh, the demonstration we saw uh, of unity before MLS's back tournament. Mark Anthony Kay was a big part of that. And I think he's earned the respect of the other players. Um, and, and they need someone who is going to be a strong vocal advocate for them uh, going into these, uh, to these new uh, CBA talks. And it's good be- that Mark Anthony Kay is a, is a relatively new player, you know, just in his third year. And MLS because a lot of the veteran players look back at where they used to be with MLS and that's fine. You know, the, the, the union has come a long way and the league has come a long way, but you, it, it's a different league now. I don't think you can go back and say, we should be happy with this because back in 2005, we were here. No, that's not the position that they should be taking. This is a, uh, one of the top leagues in the world. Now um, there's, you know, the, a lot of money involved, a lot of rich owners. And that's another thing that people have talked about. Well, when you look at the revenue stream for major league soccer, uh, it's not good because of COVID, but a lot of these owners have a lot of money um, that they can spend if they really want to be part of this league and make it better. So I like, I like Mark Anthony K. I think he's a very smart guy. I think he's very committed and I think he's part of this new wave. And I think the union needs that to go forward. You know, the last the last group of people like Jeff Lorenowitz, who is a great guy and a very smart guy, but it's been around a long time. I think they need new blood to take this union forward. And I think Mark Anthony Kay is a good, a good selection. He's got three years now, which is good because he's going to be thinking beyond just the next couple of weeks. He's going to be thinking in terms of three years. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think this is a, this is a great move uh, for Mark personally. And just, you know, just how vocal he's been, you know, with everything that went on last year. And I think if you're the MLSPA, you do need players that are going to be vocal. They are going to voice their opinion and going to have the players back, especially, you know, when it comes to the owners. And right now with their, with their negotiations, you know, we don't know when this MLS season is, is going to start. They did say March. It could be pushed back. And, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of reports about, you know, what Don Garber said and then the MLSPA said. So they don't really look 
to be on the same page of what's going on. And we could definitely see the season um, getting pushed back from its uh, uh, initial start, which were, was first reported around uh, March. But I think if you have a player like Mark Anthony K there, you, you, you can voice his opinion. You can probably bring the players together and, you know, bring some unity within the MLSPA and be able to have some leverage, you know, against the owners and, you know, tell them like, hey, no, this is what we want or this is what we're looking for. Um, that way, you know, it's more of a 50-50. Because well, I feel like right now the owners have more of the leverage right now. Here's why I, I don't see the season starting in March. I know one of the arguments was that MLS wanted to have a long, uh, a long season because they were concerned about the eight World Cup qualifiers, which didn't just affect American players. That'll be in uh, September, October, November. Um, yes, the majority of the U.S. national team that'll be playing in those World Cup qualifiers are going to come from Europe, but that's not true with uh, Honduras or El Salvador or or Trinidad and, um, you know, uh, Jamaica, those players come off MLS rosters. So you're going to have a situation if you have eight World Cup qualifiers in the fall when the MLS playoffs are going on is a number of MLS teams will be missing their best players. That was uh, the concern of MLS. Let's get as much of the season in the, uh, done as we can before all these players start going off to their uh, international teams. But um, and, and that sounds good. And, and others were saying, no, we should push for a later start because the later we start, the better the chance we have of having fans in the stands. Uh, Anthony Fauci has said he doesn't believe that fans will be back to sporting events until the mid-summer. Um, if MLS waits, then they get more fans in the stands. That's, why is that important? Because 95% of the revenue in MLS comes from game day sales, ticket sales, sponsorships, parking concessions, those kind of things. That's contingent on people being there. Um, so those are the two arguments. Why do I think that MLS is tipping its hand and suggesting it'll be a later start? Because as we talk, it's it's January 15th. Last year, training camps were opening. I think the Galaxy opened around the 21st or 22nd. We don't even have a schedule yet. Schedules are always out by now. We don't even have a schedule yet. Nobody's being called into camp. You can't just say, uh, hey, camp's going to open a week from now. Um, you know, Christian Pavon, come on up from Argentina. You can't do that because he's going to have to quarantine. He needs to get a visa. He needs to do all those things. So the fact that, and maybe that's happening behind the scenes, but uh, you know, we haven't heard of one MLS player talking about getting ready to come to camp. So I, I just don't see them uh, opening camp in a week, a week from now. And if they don't open camp by the end of January, they don't start playing in March. So unless it's late, in, you know, perhaps late March. Remember last year they opened the season uh, on February 29th. It was the earliest opening in MLS history. Um, they're certainly not going to open uh, the last week in February. And I don't see the first week in March, perhaps late March. Um, I just don't, you know, again, we're talking on January 6th, uh, 15th, and there's no, there's no start date for camp to open. Yeah, and there's, and there's barely any movement, right, from, you know, the conversations that's been reported um, from the MLSPA and Don Garber and what's going on. And, you know, it does make sense if they want to push it back. But 2021 is going to be such a jam-packed season that, you know, you also got to account that some players are not going to be there. And if it's uh, if it's a similar situation, obviously last year was because of COVID, and this year is because of international. Uh, later this year for MLS playoffs, right? It's because of you know players being called up to the national team. You know, there's going to be a lot of you know you don't want to have the quality of the game not MLS not having their best players on the field. But I mean that that is the I mean I'm glad I'm not making those decisions, but um you know. I see it. I see it as a business. I see it. As, I see the business of MLS, but also see the other side, the player side. On um, you know they what they may want, and you know wanting to start the season sooner, or wanting you know make, making sure certain things are guaranteed for them for on their end. Uh, and it's very tricky, you know. And I think we'll have to see how it uh, plays out because I, I'm with you. I think last season, like at the end of January, you know players were being called up and. You know, different things. And you also wonder, like, how players are, you know, are staying, you know, staying in shape, you know, are they running or, you know, what things are going on? Um, those things are are, 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 are going to be, you know, some worrisome if you don't have a start date or, you know, any initial plan of when you plan to start if you're the MLS or the league. But one player that is starting and is uh, uh, training right now is Tristan Blackman. I know we spoke about him. Um, I just want to read a quote that he said uh, on, on his call on his call up to the men's national team. 
He's a, this is the first call up of hope, hopefully many. I look forward to developing my relationship with the staff and the players, showing myself, and hopefully uh, keep, keep getting called back into camps and then into games. Um, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, this is, like I said, this is a great call up for uh, Tristan Blackman. And it also goes to show that Greg Berhalter is really a paying attention to what players in the MLS do. And not, not only because like we mentioned before, there is, there is already a lot of depth at right back. There's already a lot of depth at center back, but I do like that Greg Berhalter is still calling players into camp, into the January camp, because you don't know what the future may hold. A player may get injured. Something may happen. And you will have a player like Tristan Blackman that you may get a, you get to one, build a relationship with them. You get to really see in your eyes and you got to do the eye test and what is he really good at? Where does he really play? Where, where is he better at right back? Is he better at center back? And if something were to happen, players down the line do get injured. You may call Tristan Blackman. You may call Tristan Blackman just to help, help you out with training or, you know, as a sub. And I, and I think if you're LAFC, this is the only LAFC player that's getting called up to the men's national team. I think it has to be exciting because his, his value is only going up. Well, it, it, Greg Berhalter is looking towards the summer. The, the Gold Cup is not a FIFA uh, tournament. Well, it is a FIFA tournament, but it doesn't uh, take place on FIFA dates. So that means the, the national team players in Europe will not be participating. Uh, and ones outside MLS probably will not be participating. So Greg Berhalter needs to look at probably putting together three full teams. He's going to have his Nations League team uh, in, in the spring. He's going to have the Gold Cup team. And then he's going to have the World Cup qualifying team. So that's 60 players, pretty much, that you that you need to have available on your talent pool. So, yeah, he's definitely uh, looking a little broader. Does Christian Blackman has, have a future uh, with perhaps the A team, the one that would go to the World Cup in 2022? Maybe not. But we would have said that about a lot of other players, too, if uh, you know they hadn't gotten their first chance. Uh, we'll see how impressive Christian Blackman is. I think right now he's looked at as depth, as someone that, that um, deepens that talent pool. But, you know, let's see what he does. Maybe he winds up being exactly the kind of guy that Greg Berhalter is looking for. And, and Greg Berhalter knows MLS as well. Remember, he was coached Columbus for a couple of years, uh, made an MLS Cup final as coach there. Um, yes, certainly his A team is a European-based team, but he does not look down at MLS players and knows that there's some value there. Um, I don't know where Tristan Blackman fits in, but the fact that he's getting a look certainly is positive. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely positive, and just just with everything going on, um, what do what do you think of uh of LAFC and you know so far of everything, all the moves they've made. I mean, they've addressed the back line. We we talked about you know the goalkeeping, um, the midfield looks to be. I mean, they, that's where I felt they've always been the strongest. Um, if this is the team, right? I think there 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 is a few things that they they're gonna have to adjust and do. Um, if this is the team going into 2021, as of January 15th, what do you make of the team so far? Well, I think they have more versatility up front, but less experience. I mean, Diomandi and Bradley Wright Phillips are gone. They've been replaced by Corey Baird and, and, and Danny Muscovy. Um, so uh, behind the, the starting three, I think uh, I think that's good. I think we have a, a front line now, a front five, a little more versatile. Again, the midfield you mentioned, they probably have five of starters for three spots. So I think they're, they're good there. They're versatile there. Uh, they have a lot of options. The back line, they gave up 1.77 goals a game last season. That's a franchise high. Yes. They led the league in scoring again, but they also gave up more goals than they've ever given up before uh, per game. So they needed to address the back line and they did. And I think Marco Farfan is going to be a, a guy who we're going to be talking about before this is over. Uh, I think Kim is definitely an upgrade at right back. Um, you know, Tristan Blackman played good at the end of the season, played well at the end of the season, not so much at the beginning. So I think he's moving in the right direction. They haven't addressed goalkeeper yet. And as we talked about, um, you know, I don't think they can feel really good about the goalkeeping situation uh, going into the year. I just don't see goalkeeper being a strength of this team. And maybe, maybe that's by design. Maybe they feel like they need to address other areas first, but um, I, I, you know, unless Pablo uh, uh, emerges as, as a really top level goalkeeper i still think that's gonna it's got to be a question mark going into the season yeah yeah i think so and i'm with you on all that there's there's they're, they've addressed everything except goalkeeper and i think uh, and i don't and i think that's i think they're gonna roll with what they got so far um 
Kevin, that is all the time we have. I appreciate you being on. I hope you have a great weekend, man. When when is the women's U.S. men's uh, women's national team uh, play? Women, women play Monday against Colombia. Monday, 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 Friday Monday. against Colombia. And the men, the men will have a game next weekend, the weekend of the twenty uh, third. Uh, we don't know against who, and we don't know exactly when. It hasn't been announced yet. That'll be yeah. coming in a few days. Yeah, and the, and the women over there, I'm, are they in Florida, I'm assuming? They're, they're in Orlando. The men are in Bradenton um, at the U.S. soccer facility there, and the women are in Orlando. They're training. They're using uh, the Orlando Pride and Orlando City's facilities. Yeah, so that'd be, that should be exciting. I'm definitely going to try to uh, catch the U.S. Women's National game on Monday. Uh, Kevin, for the people that don't already follow you, let them know where they can follow you. LATimes.com and on Twitter at KBaxter11. Yeah, Follow him, check him out. He wrote a great piece on Kim Moon Wan. Uh, you know, covers both uh, LA teams, great articles. Make sure once you click it the first time, you read it and understand it because if you try to go back again, I think you have to pay. <laughs> That's okay. You can pay. I can pay, but I look, I, we're going through some tough times right now, Kevin. So I just make sure I read it the first time. I understand it because I, I've learned if I go and try to try to click it again, I, I might have to subscribe and pay. But um, I just I just the reason why I, I don't I don't want to pay is because I, I know those are the only are if I were to read all of the L.A. Times, then it would make sense. But I just I just, I just read one one. I just read what you write. And, you know, so hey, check it out. The L.A. Times is good. Check it out. We got a lot of stuff about. Uh, the election and COVID, you know, yeah, but you I'm, all, I'm only real worried about the soccer stuff, you know. I'm, I'm okay, you know, there's a point of there. I'm just worried about the, the soccer stuff. I well, you better start worrying about COVID because it's coming, <laughs> it's already here, it's already here, man. So, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I love I love all the job you do. Um, uh, guys, if you guys enjoy this episode, make sure to give this a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can also listen to this on Spotify, wherever you get your music. You can follow me at Gio Garcia LA on Twitter and make sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at LA Soccer Hub. For Kevin, this is Gio. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.